This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. We're internet sensations, guys. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons, 3 to 7 on WSJS. You are on a Tuesday drive. And how about this? WSJS, News Talk Sports from the Triad. We are literally 15 steps or so away from the gate at Kid Brewer Stadium. The Rock where it's going to be rocking four hours from now on ESPN in primetime, App State facing Coastal Carolina. The head coach of the Mountaineers, Sean Clark, going to be our guest. And about 10 minutes or so, about a dozen minutes from now, whenever really he stops by our set, that's when we'll visit with the head Mountaineer. A lot of stuff for us to do since we're here in Boone. Okay, it's October, WD. The Carolina Panthers... They have not won a game yet. They're one of the few. In fact, they're the only winless team in the NFL right now. So you're already starting to hear the same whispers we heard a year ago when the Panthers moved off of Christian McCaffrey. Hey, is Brian Burns next? Is Carolina going to make a move and potentially move Spider Burns? That's one way you can get back into the first round after all. The trade deadline, it's this month. To that. It should be sniffed out now. This conversation should be had, and it should be a short one. The Carolina Panthers absolutely positively should not trade Brian Burns. They absolutely positively should not shop Brian Burns. Full stop. And here's why. Elite pass rushers are incredibly hard to find. With respect to McCaffrey and to DJ Moore, it is a lot harder to find an edge that is elite than a wide receiver or a running back, regardless of how talented they might be. Burns is the best player on this team, and Frank Reich knows it. Listen to the way Frank Reich talked about Brian Burns' leadership and what he brings to this team. This was immediately following the Panthers' loss to the Lions a couple days ago. Listen, I, I cannot say enough about Brian Burns. He stands for everything everything you want a football player to stand for, everything you want a leader to stand for. I mean, that guy is... He's as, you know, he's the epitome of what you want as a as a winner. That guy's a winner, and that's where you feel bad for guys like that. You know that he's been here a long time. We've not been able to win, and uh, he, you know, we all everybody deserves better, but he deserves better. He does. He was drafted in 2019. He has not experienced a playoff trip. He has not experienced a winning season. But that doesn't mean you trade him. There's a reason why. You never see good edge rushers, great edge rushers, hit the open market. Look at free agency. Who are the guys you generally see? It's not Khalil Mack. It's not fill-in-the-blank top edge guy. It's not T.J. Watt. It's not the top. It's not Bosa. Those aren't the guys who ever become available because teams know how important it is to lock up that guy. It's a premium position. What are the top premium positions? Obviously quarterback. But then right there after that, it's left and right tackle, and it's having an edge rusher. Given how often teams pass the ball, how do you combat that? When you watch Sundays, sure, there are elite quarterbacks, but there are a lot more teams that have quarterbacks not look so great out there, and it's mostly because they're facing teams that have dudes like Brian Burns that can make them look average. You do not get rid of that if you have it. And Carolina likely would not get the value that it should 
if it decided to move Burns now. A year ago, it was a conversation to have. The Rams offered two first-round picks, and that sounds about close to the value, but are teams going to offer that now? Probably not. Not given the fact he has no more years left on his rookie deal, not given the fact that once you sign him or trade for him, you would have to negotiate a new contract. He's up after this year, as we know. That's Those are a couple of hurdles that will ding his value a bit where you're not getting two first-rounders. And if you're not getting that, it doesn't really seem worth it. But fortunately for the Panthers, Brian Burns has said all along, I'm going to keep playing, and I'm confident that this is going to get worked out with Carolina. Here was Burns. I, mean, I guess you can account that as part of the frustration. Um, but I would say my main frustration is I just want to win. Um, just want to win. Like, like I said, I wouldn't regret nothing. Like, uh, I feel like if I start regretting or I start feeling bad for myself, it'll take away my fire from playing the game. Yeah. He, he says there's some frustration in that he hasn't gotten the contract hammered out, but his primary focus on, is on trying to win games. And here's the other part that, you know, frustrates me about this conversation too. Oh, Carolina's going to get two first-round picks. Who are you going to get it from? Odds are it's going to be from a contender. Odds are those picks are going to be in the 20s. Who are you going to find with those first-round picks that's nearly as good as Brian Burns is? What makes you think you're going to hit on those picks? Like, have you seen what the Panthers have done in the top 10 the last few years? You feel good that you're going to take advantage and make up for the value that you're giving up in Brian Burns? Like with McCaffrey, it made sense to move off of him because the shelf life for running backs, it's small. For DJ Moore, it made sense because it allowed for you to get the quarterback and wide receivers, it's easier to find guys on the open market that can replace that productivity. With Burns, you got to remember, even though he's been in the league for now four or five years, close to it, he's only 25 years old. He'll be able to play at a high level for at least five more years. If you sign him to a mega contract for the next five years, he's going to be elite for that entire stretch, probably close to 10 years. Look at Pepper's career. Look how long Bruce Smith played. How about, you know, Jason Taylor, Michael Strahan? So he wants to stay here. He should stay here. It's October, and the Panthers haven't won, so those conversations are already creeping up. Do not give up Brian Burns. Spider should be signed here long-term, and he should be part of the winning that will come, hopefully, in years in the future with Bryce Young at quarterback. On Twitter, at WSGS Radio, if you want in, that's where we're streaming video in addition to YouTube and Twitch. A cool day to watch video because we're right outside of Kid Brewer Stadium. App State facing Coastal tonight. WD Will Dalton is back in our Winston-Salem studios. WD, are you having FOMO at all? I always have a little bit of FOMO when you're on location somewhere and I'm back in here, but... Uh... You know, we got we got to keep the ones and twos going. We got to keep this thing sounding good. And Shifting things. I'm glad I hung back because I watched John Wick last night. Oh yes, we need to talk about that. And speaking of which, I'm sure Sean Clark will want to bring up movies because every single time he sits down on the show, he wants to ask WD about the movies that he's watching. We'll see if he likes John Wick. Getting to the game tonight. App State Coastal Carolina is going to come down to the two quarterbacks. For App State, it's Joey Aguilar. For Coastal Carolina, somehow, some way, it's still Grayson McCall. Starting with App State, the recruitment of Joey Aguilar has saved App State's season and maybe saved Coach Clark's job. 
A lot of pressure when you don't win at App State. And last year, they didn't meet expectations after the big September that they had. Ryan Berger, he was supposed to be the starting quarterback replacing Chase Bryce, who had been here the last couple of years. But Berger went down game one against Gardner-Webb. And what do you have at that point? How many teams' season would sink if you lose your starting quarterback in week one? For North Carolina, for example, ask yourself the question, how would North Carolina's season have suffered if Drake May went down with an injury in week one? For App State, they lost their guy, but they had Joey Aguilar waiting in the wings, and the only reason they have Joey Aguilar is because Sean Clark felt the need to go into the portal and find this Juco quarterback from California, and now that he's here, he is dealing 13 touchdowns in five games. App has the second-best offense in the Sun Belt currently. That doesn't happen if you don't have forward thinking, if you don't protect yourself and thinking about depth the way that Sean Clark did. That's one side of the equation. On the other side, Grayson McCall, who is a North Carolina kid, who App State recruited once upon a time, he is in his fifth year with Coastal, fourth year as a starter, and unfortunately for Jamie, uh, for Grayson McCall, Jamie Chadwell is not the coach anymore. Jamie Chadwell is over at Liberty. Under Chadwell, Grayson McCall, in three years as a starting quarterback, only had five games without multiple touchdowns. Let me say that again. Three complete seasons, Grayson McCall, only five games he didn't have multiple touchdowns in that triple uh, triple option offense that they ran. Under Tim Beck, former NC State offensive coordinator, We've only seen five games in what's uh, Grayson McCall's final season. Three out of the five, he has not had multiple touchdowns. That is a problem and something that has led to Coastal Carolina not being nearly as effective as it's been in past years and why App State has a great advantage tonight. It's why they're favored by close to a touchdown. He was never voted most likely to succeed. You're such a loser. But then again, were you? The very concept is unimaginable. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham. Oh, play me some mountain music Like Grandma and Grandpa used to play Then I'll float on down the river To Cajun Hideaway Since we're right outside, like, a gate that would have us in the corner of the end zone, it's pretty convenient for Sean Clark to get to our setup as he joins us now. Coach Clark, we're less than four hours from kickoff time. And first off, every time I sit here and I listen to you listening to Mountain Music from Alabama, I wonder how many other Alabama songs are on the playlist for you. Oh, man, it was an unbelievable uh, group. And I grew up at, from Charleston, West Virginia. That was my mom and dad's go-to back in the 80s. So no, a lot of Alabama songs and uh, listen to them often, especially on the lake. 40-Hour Week is probably my favorite Alabama song, honestly, other than Mountain Music, of course, given the setting. But since it's game day, we're talking Tuesday night. And a big topic with Tuesday night games is always about regiment and getting prepared. Let's just focus on the day. When did the day start for Sean Clark? Well, the day started at 6 o'clock this morning. Uh, again, I, I have car duty uh, for my kids, so uh, that didn't change. I was up uh, 6, had them at school by 7.30. Even on game day? On game day. Then I got a phone call from my daughter that said, uh, I forgot my, my math folder. So I went back and took her math folder. Then I got to come to work. So, uh, you know, I take a lot of pride in being a dad first. 
and, and I, I do that. That's always going to be first for me, and the football second. And anytime you can spend time with your kids, uh, we're going to do that. And, you know, with football, you miss a lot. And today she's playing the championship volleyball game today at 6 o'clock. I'm going to miss that. So uh, I'll be on a text thread with my wife throughout the game, and I'll look at my watch and see who's winning. So, um, again, just um, – proud to be a mountaineer but again miss uh, seeing my kids play yeah so you get to work around what time i got here about nine o'clock this morning that's my normal time on a game day okay nine o'clock and that wouldn't change if it was a night game at the rock on a saturday probably. yeah the same thing i get in early try to do some personal stuff around the office and you know there's a lot of uh, gotta do's paperwork you have to get done and, and no one's in the office at that time so uh, i get stuff done for to finish up this week and then get on to next week already so what's my that's my favorite time that was in the office what's the most difficult part about a Tuesday night game, the lead up, the nine, 10 day lead up after the Monroe game or the 10 days or so that follow tonight? No, it's before without question. Cause you're, you know, you know, usually a Thursday night's that's date night for your, for your, for your wife. And then, you know, this time it was Sunday night. So th that's what really messes you up a little bit. And, you know, you're, you're so confused with your schedule. I just know yesterday was Friday, uh, Saturday, Friday in my book. And I uh, went and watched Monday night football on a Friday in my eyes. So, um, but again, that, that's the, the hard part. The easy part's on the back end. Uh, we'll come back and we'll practice tomorrow with them, uh, get, get, put this uh, game to bed, then get on the recruiting. We'll leave tomorrow night going recruiting. App State coach Sean Clark is with us, Coastal Carolina, on the schedule tonight. How happy are you going to be? This is where I want you to be honest with me, coach, that you're not going to see Grayson McCall again after tonight. I'll be very happy. <laughs> Probably Mike Brown feels like playing Appalachian State. Uh, <laughs> you know, but no, it's uh, he's a great player. I recruited him when I was an uh, assistant coach here back in 2018. Indian Trail area? Yeah, Indian Trail area. He's down uh, south of Charlotte. And, you know, we had a great relationship. He's a great kid. I saw him at the Sunbelt Media Days, and we were joking about it. He could have been a mountaineer. But, no, he's a great player. Got a lot of respect for him and his game. But, uh, but I'll be glad when he's gone. App State, Coastal Carolina, a big game tonight. Looking at your quarterback, this is what fascinates me about your story, Sean, with this year's team. You obviously knew you were going to have a different starter than you've had the last few years in Chase Bryce, and it's Ryan Berger who gets hurt in the opener, and Joey Aguilar, someone you bring in as a JUCO transfer, and it's hard, it's, it's hard to imagine what the season would have been if you didn't think to go into the portal and add some depth at that position. Do you think that's going to become like a commonplace thinking in college football, using the portal specifically with that position, given how valuable it is to make sure if you have some attrition, the season doesn't go down the tube, so to speak? Yeah, it has to. You're sitting here looking at it right now, and you know, we want all of our quarterbacks to stay without question. But, you know, with the great years, you know, who knows what's going to happen? So you're always going to have that uh, card in your back pocket to go to transfer quarterback. And, you know, if, if both quarterbacks return, then you can go get a younger guy. But you have to have that, that card. And, you know, how we do our number, we have 42 on defense, 40 on offense, and three specialists. But on that, the head coach has a trump card. So, and that's for quarterback positions. We have quarterback or an offensive lineman. But, you know, we were very fortunate to get Joey out, Joey out of a junior college in California. We knew he had a great, great talent. And, and Ryan, he, he won the job outright. During the during fall camp, and then, but we knew Joey wasn't too far behind. And then you can see from the first play he came in with his first place a touchdown, about a fifty yard touchdown, and the rest has been history so far. What do you remember about conversations with your staff when it came to finding a quarterback in the portal, looking for one in the first place, but also saying, "Oh yeah, the guy from California and JUCO, he's a fit." 
Yeah, you know, we, it was kind of ironic because uh, Frank Ponce, our offensive coordinator, now was at Miami. Yep. And he called and said, listen, there's a quarterback in California. We're probably not going to take him. We're recruiting hard right now. We probably won't get to him. So we went and looked. I told Kevin Barbet at the time, hey, go look at this kid. I watched him. He's, I think he's very talented. And uh, we watched him. And then, you know, we gave him a visit. He's supposed to go to Coastal the next weekend and cancels the trip to Coastal, commits the app. And then and you fast forward a, a month, Kevin Barbet, he's off to, to Mississippi State and Frank Ponce, the offensive coordinator. So even though he was gone, Frank Ponce recruited uh, Ryan Berger and gave us the inside scoop on Joey Aguilar. And you didn't let him. You got him before he was able to look at the school that you're playing tonight. How about that? How small that world can be. We need to get to the important stuff, though. WD watched John Wick for the first time last night. You're a fan of that movie. I'm a big-time fan. That's an unbelievable series. We got to give him some, some better movies than just John Wick. Okay, so when you think best football movies, like what? give me the list because I think we've done a good job, but maybe, Coach, there's an error that we've made. Maybe there's a football movie that you like a lot that – isn't something that we've included so far. No, one with Adam Sandler was the longest yard. Longest yard. Yeah, and there, actually, there's an App State guy in that movie. Kevin, Is that right? Kevin Farkas played. Uh, he was the uh, stunt double for their left tackle. Huh. So we're talking about the recent longest yard. You haven't seen that, I'm sure. WD. No shot. No oh. shot. And Michael and Michael Irvin. Oh. Adam Sandler. Yeah, Michael Irvin's in it, and I think Nelly's playing the running back. Well, he's fast. What? He's so fast. He made people who, who are also fast not look fast. That's how fast he is. Uh, and then you got um. Oh, he has probably not even seen Waterboy. Oh come on! No, have you seen Waterboy? I ha- well, no, I have not. What's seen more Waterboy. unforgivable, not seeing Longest Yard like- or Waterboy? I tell you, what, we have some work to do. Guys. <laughs> and we've been doing work. That's the problem. <laughs> okay, Waterboy seems like it's more inexcusable that he hasn't seen it. Yeah, that question. It, you have to see Waterboy of all things. Okay, so we'll we'll put that down. You're you're still a big coming to America guy, McDowell's. We might get some of that after the game. I don't know. Do we got one of those in Boone somewhere? Get some McDowell's. We'll, we'll try to work on that. And um, WD, we'll figure out. We'll throw that into the hopper here. We'll throw Waterboy and Longest Yard into the hopper of movies that he can watch. But every time I see you, Coach, it's amazing. You're like, what is WD seen? Everybody wants to know that for some reason. <laughs> You're going to be a social um, social media icon here pretty soon. <laughs> Sean Clark, go get. Oh, tell me one key tonight. It's not often we get to catch coaches on game day. Give me one specific area in the game that we should be keeping an eye on at home or, in our case, on the sideline. Well, I think first and foremost, we have to keep Grace McCall in the pocket, and we have to be very aggressive as this goes forward because he's a great talent, and he can change the game for you. I know the record's not what they expect it to be right now, but they're a very dangerous football team. So the key is to keep Grace in the pocket and don't let him beat you with his feet. So one thing to keep an eye on if we're watching at home, look at the DNs and see how they're trying to – bracket him and keep him inside the pocket yeah, we, we have to keep him inside the pocket and and don't let him beat us and, and he's done before uh the last couple of years it's been the grace mccall show so we have to make sure we're on point reader keys and again today's, today's it's a sold out crowd right now on a tuesday night in Boone, North carolina and that's it, hard to beat and you know we have the best fans in college football in my opinion so um the crowd's got to be rowdy for sure make it hard on them to get their calls in and, and have a lot of fun playing ball you might remember this because i was wearing overalls earlier this year when it happened you said Coastal Carolina's coming in on Tuesday. You need to bring your show down here. And I said, Coach, you say no more. And here we are. Man, I appreciate you being up here. It's, it's awesome to have you guys up here today. But all, really, it's awesome to get to know you guys and, and all you do and talk about App State football. Go get a win tonight, Coach. Thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. The Drive with Josh Graham, only on WSJS. Just got this text from 
App State coach Sean Clark, who joined us a short while ago. We're hanging out here at App State just outside of one of the gates here at Kid Brewer Stadium. He said uh, that he wanted to thank my dad for his law enforcement service. My dad was just visiting with Coach Clark and gave him a patch for one of the police stations that he worked at. And Coach Clark shared with me this shrine that he has of different coins and different patches that he has from police departments across the country. Because Coach Clark actually got a criminal justice degree and I believe is actually somebody who is a part, had been approved by App State Police here locally. That's something that Sean Clark told me. So I think he's been sworn in part as, a part, as part of App State Police if he's on call. So don't mess with Sean Clark. Uh, really cool stuff um, and cool to visit with Sean Clark a few moments ago. Adam Witten will be here in just a little bit. Okay, let's get to last night. Major League Baseball, what a finish for Braves. Who are the Braves playing? Phillies. Into that game, it looked like Atlanta was going to meet the same fate as my Baltimore Orioles, the same fate that the Dodgers met in the nightcap against the D-backs in losing the first two games of the series despite the fact you got a bye. But with different ideas, Austin Riley had a home run in the bottom of the eighth to put Atlanta in front, and he had the throw after the cutoff man was missed to put Bryce Harper out at first as he was off the base, not tagging up. All that, though, pales in comparison to the catch Michael Harris made. Here's how it sounded on Atlanta Braves radio. 2-2 in the air out towards right center field. Harris going to go back. Harris back to the warning track. He leaps. Michael's got it! He's got it! They fired it in, and it rolls across the infield. Taken by Riley. He throws to the bag. They double him off! Ball game over! Braves win! I've never seen a play like that! (laughs) I hadn't either. Not to end a game, at least. And what a finish it was as Atlanta knots up that series with Philadelphia. It kind of feels like that that is a pseudo-NLCS. With respect to the D-backs, I'd take uh, the Atlanta Braves or the Philadelphia Phillies against them with a trip to the World Series on the line. WD, that was a lot better than the football we saw last night. Mason, or not Mason Crosby, that's the Packer kicker. Max Crosby dominated this game. You had the interception late. The Packers, I don't know if they're good. Probably not. The Raiders, I'm pretty sure they're not good. Still won the game on WSJS to get the late pick and win it 17-13. The baseball, a lot more entertaining than the football there. And while we're talking about the NFL, Let's circle back to the Panthers. What is the root of the negativity surrounding Bryce Young right now? What is it that is frustrating Carolina Panther fans the most right now when it comes to Bryce? Because from the outside looking in, or as somebody who watches it quite a bit and talks to Panther fans for a living every day, it seems to me the primary roots here have nothing to do with Bryce Young himself. The negativity that's there has nothing to do with Bryce because Bryce, when you look at the numbers, he's actually played okay. He he certainly hasn't played poorly. 
Five touchdowns, four picks. Had the two fumbles. Three touchdown passes against the Lions. He's right where most rookie quarterbacks should be. Certainly not giving you indications with his play that he's going to be a bust or that he belongs or that he doesn't belong out there. He's handled himself perfectly off the field. No issues at all with what he says. Nothing entitled. His teammates seem to love him perfectly. He's handled himself off of the field and on it. He hasn't played poorly, but you wouldn't think that given the reaction. WD, am I wrong here? Am I out of bounds? You're an, you're an actual Carolina Panthers fan. You're emotionally attached. You see this negativity, right? The problem is, is some, yeah, but I, I see so much negativity just in different directions. Like, there's negativity towards Tepper. There's negativity towards Frank Reich. There's but there some, is certainly some for Bryce. There is, and, and maybe some of that is because of some of the turnovers that he's had, but he's also running for his life a lot yeah, of the time. I don't know if it's his play. This is what I believe the two roots of it are. Like, the primary roots of why Panther fans are frustrated right now with him. Number one, C.J. Stroud. That seems to be a primary frustration. That's not because of Bryce Young. What Bryce is experiencing is completely normal for rookies. Conversely, what CJ is doing right now is abnormal. He just set the NFL record for most pass attempts to begin a career without an interception. He had a late go-ahead touchdown for Houston in Atlanta. While his offensive line's better than what Bryce Young's dealing with, you got Laramie Tunsil out there at left tackle. That's a pretty good you know, feather in your cap to have. The weapons aren't that much crater. You're going to tell me Adam Thielen doesn't stack up with Nico Collins? Come on now. It's, it's not a weapons disparity that we're talking about. He's not being over-supported in Houston. He's just blossoming earlier than Bryce has. You know what it's reminiscent of? It's, it reminds me a lot of the 2020 draft. Joe Burrow taking number one. Tua was the second quarterback, then it was uh, Justin Herbert. Burrow started slow. Didn't have the best QBR rating his first year. Also dealt with an injury. So who was the one to stand out? Justin Herbert. And if you were to redraft it after the first 10 games or after the first season, Justin Herbert is the guy that you take number one. That's the way that most fans feel. But then, three, four years later, most people probably feel like Joe Burrow's the guy that you would take if you had the choice, even over Justin Herbert right now. It just took him a little bit more time to get the support that he needed. And then Tua, Tua reminds me a lot of Anthony Richardson in the sense of, hey, dealing with some injuries, you see some of the talent there, maybe be a little bit more patient. Because if you could redraft at WD, 2020 draft, who goes number one? Is it Burrow or is it Justin Herbert? It's definitely Burrow. That, now, it, it would go Burrow and then Justin Herbert, I think. So you would not have said that, though, after the rookie season. You would have said for sure Justin Herbert is the guy that you take number one. So that's evidence that it can be a little bit of a slow burn. Let's not leap to conclusions right away. This 2020 class all, or 2023 class, all three of these guys could be pretty good, while Bryce Young takes a little bit longer than the quickly blossoming abnormal C.J. Stroud and turns into the Joe Burrow of this class. And Tua turned out to be pretty good too, and I think Anthony Richardson might be that as well. That's one primary root of the frustration. The second thing is this. 
given Carolina's record, there is a faction of fans that would say they prefer to have the number one pick for next year, would, ha- would rather have Drake May slash Caleb Williams than have Bryce Young. And this is the one that I completely reject on its face. Bryce, obviously, is the reason they don't have the number one pick, so they're not going to be able to draft either of those guys. I disagree with the notion that Caleb Williams and Drake May are better prospects than Bryce Young. I reject that completely. I think the reason why it seems that way is because we haven't completely crunched all the numbers and broken down every single throw that these guys have had so far the way that we've done with Bryce Young. That you forget, Bryce Young won the Heisman. Bryce Young didn't have a good running back, didn't have a good receiving core, didn't have a good O-line at Alabama last year, and still was awesome in every single game he played. I'd much rather have Bryce Young right now and not have to reset and restart again next year with Caleb Williams or Drake May. I'd much rather have Bryce Young than to have that restart again. I would. And I do not think that those two quarterbacks are all that much better as prospects than Bryce Young is, regardless of how many times people say it. When you look at it, Bryce Young was a great prospect. There's a reason why they drafted him number one. But that seems to me to be the roots of it, WD. The problems that Panther fans have right now, the real frustration, it's C.J. Stroud's playing well and better than Bryce Young is, which and they had the option to take C.J., and the fact that Carolina has the worst record, which means they're not going to get the number one pick, which means they can't take Caleb Williams or Drake May, and the mystery box is almost better than always better than what you have right now, and they'd prefer those two guys over having Bryce Young. I agree with all those things. But I think if you even go a level under that, it's ultimately just frustration for how long the Panthers have struggled. That too. Ever since that TJ Watt hit on Cam Newton, it's it's been Ever a rough since go David of it. Tepper's owned the team. Yeah. This all could have just been an email, is basically what you're saying. On with the show. Showtime. Back to the drive with Josh Graham. Abby Labar will be calling App State Coastal tonight. She's on the sidelines along with our friends Taylor Zarzor and Tom Luganbill. 7.30 kick. How prepared are you for chilliness tonight? I see okay. your get-up now. We can so, see you on YouTube, Twitch, and yeah, Twitter. You have the blazer yeah, on. Yeah, There's no chance that's all you're stocked with. So I did break out the puffer coat. Um, it is with me. It's funny because I lived in Florida for a year, and I haven't – done football in gosh over a year and so when I pulled out the puffer it was at my house in Charlotte I didn't even I don't even have it with me yet in New York I didn't have it in Florida so I'm like hmm, I might need to bring this thing I pull it out and I pull like a mask and like old stuff out from like two years ago out of my pocket I'm like holy cow I haven't worn this coat in so long like I think since like COVID year honestly and so yeah it's I got it um it was chilly last night and yesterday are you practice. worried are you worried tonight no, I mean like I'm gonna be sprinting around the field so I did. I wore my running shoes. Oh gosh! Don't look at these socks. I see them. I wore my long socks. She's got this the long is, white socks. Yeah. It's stylish though. It's, honestly, I think it's. I think this is it. You're ready to go. Yeah. Okay. See, I I brought maybe a hoodie. I think I got like Merle Fest gear, like an Avett Brothers hoodie. I'm ready to go. I'm locked in. Merle Fest is right down the road from where we're set up here. Um, you know, one of the best festivals they have in uh, North Wilkesboro every year. Abby, what story are you look looking forward to tell tonight? You said you were here yesterday. Yeah. You were spending time with both staffs. 
what's a story that we might give me a teaser we might expect to hear on the ESPN broadcast and I don't know about three and a half hours gosh there's so many good ones I mean that's what's the, that's like the fun part about covering the Sun Belt right like you have a lot of these the way that um, Sean Clark explained it like blue collar guys and they just work really hard and they all have like pretty cool backgrounds and stories um, I mean I think really like Joey's story the quarterback is just unique in itself and I love I love how Frank Ponce talks about Joey Aguilar and how like his little like tendencies and how I mean the way like we were laughing we were belly laughing so hard in that meeting just the way that he's they've been trying to like coach and player build that relationship because Joey just seems like a guy that like nothing phases him like Frank Ponce said sometimes I will look at this kid and I'm looking right through him and I'm like are you understanding what I'm saying like do you know and Joey's like coach whatever you need I got it whatever you need I got it like just not phased so level-headed and all the players talk about him in that way too and I think that's very unique. Uh, I think that's unique for a, for a quarterback to not really get phased, especially considering the fact that, like, he does make mistakes. And that has been a big emphasis for this App State team. Like, and so Frank Ponce and Sean Clark are like, we just kind of have to let him play and accept the fact that he's going to make some, you know, mistakes where you're scratching your head and you're like, Joey, what were you thinking? But if you take away, like, his space and his eyes because he sees the field so well, then you take away his ability. And so I, I just love, like – that aspect of Joey and I, I look forward to kind of sharing that because there was a, a quarterback battle, you know, to start the season. Ryan and, Berger. Yeah, and you didn't know if he was gonna really play, and so to kind of share who he is, um, very Brett Favre like, um, <laughs> and to give him that platform because he he is a, a hard worker according to, you know, the staff. So that's a fun one, and then really just like the atmosphere here. I'm gonna I'm gonna go into the little uh, teaser i'm gonna go into the crowd let's for go the opening hit i'm gonna you know I'm, maybe I'll, maybe somebody will give me a pair of overalls. you're gonna be on the hill i thought about crowd surfing but i'm not sure oh you need I'm to get sure. the striped overalls i know i'm i'm trying to figure out like do i crowd surf do i get the striped overalls striped overalls is the move i was thinking that i mean it, they're iconic and it could keep you warm Icon true so yeah i mean one of the like tidbits that we were we were told for this game is that 10,000 student tickets were claimed right the student body at App State is about 22,000 people that's undergrad and graduate students so 10,000 tickets is about half the student body enrolled which is crazy to me mm -hmm. like that's the only so other impressive. school I could think about that is granted it's a lot different circumstances yeah. Wake Forest where when they were ranked 10th in the country, 9th in the country the last few years, you'd have like 85% of your student body there because it's 5,000 students. Yeah, I mean, true. <laughs> I mean, it's a small family. But, like, a lot of times, though, at these schools, like, you don't have that buy-in. No. You know, and so for it to be about half the student body, even though it's not a huge student body, like, it still says a lot. And I know it's easy to kind of – the atmosphere and the, the crowd is always, like, a very – it's a storyline I think a lot of people, like, look at uh, – like in general just like with college football that's always like one of the biggest stories but I think here it's just it really is something special and you've seen it grow so much over the last few years and I'm biased just being from North Carolina I love to support my North Carolina schools what is your favorite back. stadium to watch a game at like I guess I'll take NC State off the board just oh, because that's your alma mater but I even as an East Carolina guy and I was there when Lincoln Riley was calling the plays and they were really good 10 years ago I still think that this is the best place to watch a football game because of how much the fans care, to yeah. your point, but also, like, 
the topography. That's a vocabulary word right there. There you go. You talk about being in the mountain and just how everything looks. It's hard to get a better atmosphere just, you know, aesthetically. Well, I think there's an intimacy factor too, right? Like you think about why Cameron Indoor Stadium is so iconic. It's because you're just – you're all on top of each other. And, like, here it's it's kind of similar. So you have that, like, you have the beauty around it. But then it is, like, a smaller, it's 30,000 people, I think, is technically the capacity for the stadium here. And so you just, you feel that energy and environment more because it is a little more intimate. I don't know. I've been to an App State game. It's been, like, since I was in high school. So it's been a while since I've really, truly, like, seen a game here. And the last couple of years it's been, like, exponentially bigger. Um I'm going to go with your your classics. Like, I love Blacksburg. Um, watching a game at Virginia Tech is incredible. And I grew up go- going to Neyland Stadium. Uh, that, you cannot top so that. So my wife and I went to Neyland Stadium for the first time last year, and it was awesome. Clemson's one of the ones at the top of the list, I too. I haven't been to Clemson yet. So the one I keep hearing from people is LSU. Okay. And – my wife and I were going to Baton Rouge not this weekend, but nice. the following weekend when they play Army at home. The Panthers are on a bye. So we're going down to New Orleans. She's never been to New Orleans, and we're staying in the French Quarter a few days, and then we're going to Baton Rouge Saturday night. I always hear Tiger Stadium at night. Shout out to Ryan McGee. He's the one that's been telling me for years that's the one you need to go to. So we'll see if it delivers. Oh, I got to mention, though, your alma mater, MJ Morris. Scores 48 points. That's the most points against a Power 5 opponent in about five years. It prompts questions of, you see him at practice, why isn't this guy playing for you sooner? There's some other stuff maybe that goes into that too, but how much did Saturday change your outlook on NC State? Well, I think you bring – I mean, you bring Brennan Armstrong in and you want him to succeed, right? And I think – you really try to, because it's a, and I've learned this a lot. I learned this actually a lot from Rod Brennan when we're covering hockey. Like, you want the guys to feel your confidence in you. And so sometimes you stick with a player regardless of their product. And you just so it's like, hey, look, I still have confidence in you regardless of what's happening right now. And so I think they were trying to do that with Armstrong. Um, you know, MJ's always had the potential. I'm excited about it. To be honest, I was really, like, I panicked after the first drive. I was like, oh, great, here we go, the interception, like, done. Um, but, no, I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily changed my outlook. I think it it just kind of gives us all as NC State fans, like, a little more excitement now. because You we could get to six wins. Dis- we were disappointed, you know, I think, and um, – not, I think. I know fans. I know we were disappointed. But oh, Wolfpack fans. They I mean, MJ Morris had a ton of hype around him coming coming to NC State. For good reason. I mean, he yeah, so maybe they didn't think he was ready. I mean, you gotta got to try to trust the coaches. Are you believing in the Canes hype? You know what? I just talked to our good friends, Joe Ovius and Joe Gillia, about that this morning. Um, yeah, I mean, again, same thing. Like, going back, like, kind of along the lines of what I was just talking about. Rod Brindamore, like, he sticks with his core. Like, he sticks with the system. Eventually, it's going to pay off. Is it Stanley Is Cup or year? bust? It's Yeah, I think so, because you have a lot of guys going into this offseason. you got to at least get like, there. Like, Brett Pesci's the big one, you know? Yeah. like, And so that's, yeah, 100%. But it's the same exact things we're talking about, like goaltending. Is everybody healthy? But you could argue all these things for other teams, too. And that's why it's the Stanley Cup. It is. Abby Labar. I just filled – my heart is full. <gasps> my heart is full. It's good to have you here. From ESPN tonight, you can watch her uh, on the sidelines for App State and Coastal Carolina. 
You're on the drive with Josh Graham. All right. Doug Gillen, App State Director of Athletics, kind enough to join us here at our set. We're here on the mountain, Kid Brewer Stadium. We're less than three hours away from kickoff. When you talk about the logistics for a Tuesday night game, Doug, what are some of the challenges? What are some of the things on an AD's mind? Well, I mean, first and foremost, you know, a Tuesday night on the campus of an academic institution when you have a lot of classes and labs, et cetera, um, that's, that's a challenge. I think the good news is uh, on this campus, we have such a great working relationship with all of our academic folks and certainly all of the cha- uh, leadership from Chancellor Everts on down. So I think that helps, the, the fact that we've done it before on a Thursday night and then you know, it's kind of new a couple of years ago on a Wednesday night. And a Tuesday night is, a, is not a, a much different than a Thursday night. It's just, you know, Tuesday. So um, really, we kind of know what we're doing. We kind of got it wired, and, and, um, and we have a lot of great folks on campus that help. How satisfied are you with the three and two start? Satisfied with the three and two start? I think we always, always want to be five and zero. Oh. You know, and, and um, I, I, what we we played well at times, um, and uh, certainly lost a heartbreaker in Chapel Hill. You know, a double overtime loss. That was. Um, that was one we kind of felt got away from us a little bit that we, we played really competitive with. And then certainly when you go to Wyoming and, you know, have 41 minutes of, you know, control of the ball and really played really, really well. That just final drive was score in the red zone. App State football yeah, where you're yeah. pushing it down the field to set up that field goal. Yeah, it was kind of the same thing. So tonight's a big game. You know, uh, we expect to be playing for championships and in bowl games every year. So we got to keep winning. And, uh, you know, I think it's, as you probably know and certainly something we're really proud of when you go back to Tuesday night, we're sold out. I don't know many schools in America that sell out on a Tuesday night. So, you know, we continue to be one of the top programs in the country um, in terms of fan base and, and fan support. And so now we got to continue to match that with winning. How much did the North Carolina theories espoused about there being no value to playing App State bother you? Well, man, I, we, we didn't talk about this in our pre in our pre <laughs> pre game. What are the questions? Um, you know, th- that is it's an interesting question because I can see so both sides of the coin. And you know, when you're being a realist, but when if you look at um, you know what I think as the college football playoff continues and the valuation continues, there's going to be good wins and there's going to be good losses. And I think a play in App State is going to provide value in either category. Sure. Um, and so if you, and I won't name any other schools, but if you could go play X and beat them by a lot, right, or play, play a close game with App, whether it's home or away, I would hope that the committee would give that more value. Yes. Right. And because the only rationalization for saying that you don't get anything out of beating us would be if that does not provide value to get into the college football playoff. Well, there's a two sidedness to things that bother me about this conversation. And it's twofold. It's from the coaching perspective from some of these power fives, but also it's from the media as well. You'll have coaches who say on conference expansion, for example, we got to think about our fans. We got to think about our student athletes. We got to think about travel and how maybe that might affect them negatively if you go so far away from home. Well, why doesn't that apply to who you play on your schedule, especially if you are a large Power 5 in-state institution playing teams from other parts of the state? And then there's the media piece of this where so many in the media will say 
it's good for college football when North Carolina plays Appalachian State, for example. Yet after a great game, 40-34, to 34, that was awesome in Chapel Hill, North Carolina gets bumped down three spots exactly. in the AP poll. Great point. So that, that is exactly what I was talking about. That's where the media's got to value that win. Yes. And because and, and then, then, then the narrative, is, which I don't agree with, becomes true when you get bumped down for playing. I mean, probably I, I haven't looked at all the scores from the University of North Carolina this year, but that might be the most competitive game they've played this year. Is, it is. that accurate? It is. Every okay. other game they've won by at least 14. Okay, so you're talking about the most competitive game they played this year at home in front of a sold-out crowd, and you get bumped down. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't, and that's the piece. And Jay Billis was making this point to us last year, or it might have been two years ago when Virginia lost to James Madison on the road when they opened up a new building and there were headlines out there, embarrassing loss for Virginia and things like that. If you want those schools to travel especially, not just schedule teams, but to travel to those places, you can't say it's embarrassing if they lose. You can't say that the Power Five is embarrassed if they lose to one of these teams. And that's on the media. That's not on the people within the sport because people Correct. know what this place is about. And that's that's the part that's not talked about enough, I don't think. And that's why I bring it up. No, and no, I agree with you. I agree with you. I, I think anybody that um, schedules App State should be commended. Doug Gillen's with us here. <laughs> App State Director of Athletics. Give me the rundown of Power 5 opponents you guys have in the next few years. So we've got – we're going to Clemson next year. We're going to – we've got uh, NC State here in 25, going there in 26. South Carolina's on South there. South Carolina in 27. Do not have a Power 5 currently on the schedule in 28, going to South Carolina in 29. That's about as far out as we are. Um, and then with scheduling, you know, we're trying to piece in, make sure that we're playing, um, you know, another another peer opponent, wherever that might be. And then we need a game, home game in 27. We're looking at that actively where we're going to play in 27. Um, we're always looking at playing down on the Charlotte market, another Bank of America game coming up. Um, so we're trying, again, trying to continue to find opportunities to go play wherever. Like going to play Wyoming. That's a really good Mountain West team. You know, and that's uh, – is it easy to go to Wyoming and play? No. Have you ever been to Laramie? No. What was that like? It was great. You know, it was – I mean, what the heck? It's a great town, a great college town. They had a great crowd. Um, and they got a great football team. Yeah. You know, and so we were happy to go play them, and we'd go play them again. I think it was just – you know, we want to go put, put our student athletes in an opportunity to, comp to compete. A lot of folks wouldn't go to Laramie. We, we were happy to go there. Doug going with us here. You've mentioned to us a handful of times that you've been in touch with John Curry looking to figure out the Wake Forest game. When do you think to reapproach Bubba Cunningham in North Carolina, given all the talk and all the hubbub that came out of that game? Have you guys already been in conversations? Uh, no, Bubba's a good friend. We have not talked about um, further scheduling since that game. And I, didn't Mac come out and said he's never playing us again? <laughs> Mac Brown's the <laughs> oldest coach in college football, too. So, yeah, I mean, so, I, I, mean, I – um, we're scheduling maybe. five years out anyway. <laughs> That's right. Maybe, I, I, you know, I think, um, you know, when you have students in our stadium three hours early, you know, and I know that that made an impact on their student athletes and their coaching staff. That that people, it was a big deal when Chapel Hill came here. Um, the best environment. I've been to a lot of games. You can't say this because you're following App State week to week. Since Max returned, that's the best environment I've been at. And some will say the Miami game week one of Max first year. I was at that game too and on the field. The App State. North Carolina game. That's the best environment I've seen. And that's in, in, in two fan bases that actually are competitors, but we're all neighbors. And so, the, you know, it, it actually, it's not like, 
you know, craziness. And, and so, uh, long story short, I have not talked to Bubba. He becomes a good friend. And um, hopefully at some point in time we'll play North Carolina again. Hopefully at some point in time we'll get uh, Wake Forest scheduled. A couple important things we need to get to non-football related. Doug Gillen with us here. Did I see it right that Dustin Kearns Mountaineers were picked first in the Sun Belt? Yeah, how about that? Yeah. Take the stairs. Take the stairs. Have You're you right. read Rory Vaden's book yet? Yes, I have. As a matter of fact, it's on. You know, Dustin gave it to me. It's one of my of fact, favorite books. Yes. As a matter of fact, Dustin gave it to me, and I have read it. And, yes, uh, glad to see. Um, we've got some really cool things with Auburn coming in. I was about December to say. 3rd, you know, Bruce Pearl. We're going to be here, too. Well, outstanding. Now it's a now it's a party. When Auburn comes, and we'll, we'll be here for that so we can hang out and celebrate what Dustin Kearns is doing because he deserves it. Um, is it related that I don't see Duke, North Carolina, or any of the in-state Power Fives on the schedule now that you guys are picked to win the Sun Belt? Is that a coincidence? Oh, total coincidence. I, I don't think that we um, – those games are getting harder to get. Yes. You know, even to go – 20 for, conference games for yeah, them. Yeah. Lot and, of, and so, like, when we're talking about football, think about this with football scheduling is, um, you know, if these conferences go to eight or nine games, let's say they go to nine, and then they're going to play one um, autonomous five, sure. right? And then they're going to play an FCS, mm-hmm. right? They're not going to stop doing that um, other than, like, the Big Ten right now. So then, then they're going to have one to play. And so who are they going to play? And I can, you know, give you the list. But that's why for us, when we talk about App State, control what you can control, continue to be relevant. You know, when you can sell out a Tuesday night game, that matters. That matters in the sport of college football. When you can go to – and I don't know about at North Carolina. I know that early on we had the Duke game was sold out and the App State game was sold out. Was there any other sold out yet? No. So that's good. I mean, that's good for college football. Um, we saw when they come here, they saw when they go there. Same with all the schools in the state. Anybody that will play us in the state. East Carolina here, outstanding environment. Charlotte, when they play here, outstanding environment. When we play down there, we want to keep doing that. Last thing, our producer, WD, has seen none of the good movies. Your coach, every time he visits with him, is throwing movies his way. I won't tell you which ones that Sean Clark threw at WD. You just tell me which of these four he needs to see the most. Back to the Future, Coming to America, The Water Boy, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He's seen none of those. Which one does he need to see first? Are these ones that Sean Clark is, like, really big fans of? A couple of them. Oh, man. Two of them he, he highlighted specifically. All right, so if I was going to go see any of those four, uh, I would say Water Boy. Okay. Sean Clark was the one recommending Water Boy okay. and Coming to America. All right, that's there where you go. I go. Doug Gillen knows his coach. Hey, I appreciate you coming up. No. Thank you very much. We're so happy. Talk about football. We're so happy to be here right outside the rock. The, the literal rock is right there where we're sitting here. Great setup, and that is the AD of App State Football and all sports, huh. Doug Gillen. But tonight, it should be a sellout crowd. It is a sellout crowd, 7.35 kickoff time on ESPN.